Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So today we are wrapping up our sermon series called Invisible God, and we've been talking about how do we relate to a God we can't see. Because for the first three years of Jesus' ministry, he spent his time traveling and teaching his disciples. And his disciples got to see him every single day and got to see firsthand how Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God through miracles and signs and wonders and healings and through the way that he taught. But then after Jesus' death and his resurrection, Jesus was appearing to them over this time period of 40 days, but it was different. And after those 40 days, Jesus ascended to go back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so the disciples had this question. How were they to remain connected to Jesus now that Jesus is invisible? And so we've been talking about what are the things that reveal God? How do we see who God is? How do we build a deeper relationship with him? And so last week we talked about scripture and how after Jesus' resurrection, how he opened the disciples' minds to understand scripture and who God is and to understand everything that God had been doing that the people hadn't grasped yet. And we kind of ended with this phrase of saying, if we want to see God, we have to choose to look at Scripture. But today we're going to talk about another way that God reveals himself. Now, when God reveals himself through Scripture, to be honest, that's primarily to people who already know God. You know, most people, if you're going to choose to devote the time to open your Bible and spend time reading Scripture, it's because you know God and you want to know him more. But today we're going to shift and we're going to talk about a way that God reveals himself to people who don't know him yet. And the biggest way that God reveals himself to people who don't know him yet is through us, through the church. And so we're going to talk about how do we as a church reveal God to the world so that the world, so that people can come into a relationship with Jesus, because that is our calling. And that's our role as a church, because the church is the tangible expression of God in the world. Now, sometimes it's true that the church doesn't always get this right. And if you're sitting here and maybe you think through your past and maybe you were part of a church and you felt wounded or hurt or betrayed, I hope that's not the case. But on behalf of the church as a whole, can I offer you an apology and say, I'm sorry that we, the church, failed you, that we, the church, did not live up to who Jesus has called us to be. And would you be willing to give us something? Would you be willing to say, let's start with a common foundation. Let's start and let's talk about what the church can be and what the church could become so that we together can move in that direction. Would you be willing to be on that journey with us? And so I want to start with this passage of scripture when Jesus is with his disciples and he asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? And they kind of said, well, the people are thinking this or this. Some people think you're, you know, John the Baptist come back or whatever it may be. But then Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say I am? And so Peter responds and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, wow, you actually understand it. You've actually got it. You've seen who Jesus is. And Jesus goes on and he says this to Peter. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, because previously his name was Simon. He says, you are going to be renamed Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Because this is the first mention of the word church in all of scripture. This is the promise of what the church would one day become. 
And so the disciples all had their thoughts about who Jesus was going to become and how this was going to all work out. But then the unthinkable happened. And Jesus was betrayed and arrested and crucified. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose from the grave. And then he started appearing to his disciples and teaching them and revealing things to them. And one of the times he, told, he was with his disciples, he told them this, and we're moving to Acts 1, and we're going to be in Acts 1 and 2 for a while now, of saying, once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised, as I told you before. John, that's referring to John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so he tells the disciples, stay in Jerusalem, stay and wait. Something's going to happen. And so they're waiting. And after about 60 days after Jesus' resurrection, it's the time of the festival of Pentecost. And this is a harvest festival in, in Israel. And so Jerusalem has swelled with people from all over that have come into Jerusalem to celebrate this festival together. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, So everyone who was remaining faithful to Jesus after his three years of ministry could fit in one room. They were meeting in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like tongues of flame or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, if you read this and you're like, what could that mean? I'm not going to talk about it today. You got to come back next week because next week we're starting into back into our series on spiritual gifts and we're going to talk about this passage and other ones. So for right now, we're just going to accept Luke is writing this. He's struggling at something like tongues of flame or tongues of fire and, and something like this happened, but it was big. And here's what, what Luke says next as he's recording this. He says, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this loud noise, they came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe what was happening. They're like, how are, how are these people, these uneducated fishermen and tradesmen from Nazareth and Galilee, how are they speaking our languages? And so as this great crowd of people is gathered and they're trying to figure out what's happening, Peter, he steps up to the crowd and he starts to speak He says, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And he goes on to tell them this is what God is doing. And he preaches the first message that is recorded in the New Testament. This is the moment that the church begins with Peter telling this message. And so what he does is he goes back through the Old Testament scriptures, their Hebrew scriptures, like we talked about last week, how suddenly their minds had been opened to understand it. Now Peter is using that information and he's preaching it. And he tells the people this. He says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of the lawless Gentiles, referring to the Roman governor and Pilate and his kind of group. You nailed him to the cross and you killed him. And then Peter says this, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in his grip. And then Peter goes on and he keeps going through their scripture and pointing out time and time again how all of this was promised. Every piece of what happened to Jesus was promised in the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus fulfilled all of them, proving that he was the Messiah. 
And so Peter's words pierces the hearts of the people that are listening, and they say to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? You've convinced us, you've shown us that Jesus really is the Messiah. So what do we do now? And Peter replies to them, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, to turn from the way you've been living and turn towards Jesus and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the response that Peter says. If you believe this, if you agree, if God is opening your heart right now to understand why Jesus came, here's the response. And then Luke records this detail. He says, those who believed in what Peter said were baptized and added to church that day, about 3,000 in all. See, this is the moment when the church begins. In one day, the church goes from 120 people, that's all that was left, that remained. After three years of Jesus' ministry, 120 people. And Peter preaches once. And now we have a church of 3,120 people. See, this moment was the beginning of the church. And not only that, it was the beginning of churches planting churches. Because all of these people, these 3,000, a large portion of them, maybe most or almost all of them, were not from Jerusalem. Remember, they were hearing their own languages from their own home countries being spoken. And so they were in that place at that time to hear the truth about Jesus so that they would go back to where they were from and that they would tell people about Jesus and what they've experienced. This is the moment where the church is not just in one place in Jerusalem, but now all of a sudden the church is going to be in many places and spread and grow. Now, one of the things that we, when we think about why Jesus came, why God has the church, why this still exists today, we would like to think that God's whole plan rested on Jesus, that everything is what Jesus has done for us. And, that, and there's a part of that that's true. Jesus has done so much for us in revealing God's love to us and calling us into a deeper relationship. But God's plan for the future of the whole world is actually not on Jesus' shoulders. It's on us. Because God's whole plan rests on the church being the ones to reveal Jesus and transform the world. Now, Jesus provides us with everything we need, and God gives us everything we need to do this. But this is why on that day of Pentecost, 3,000 people became the first generation of church planters. Because it was about spreading and moving throughout the known world. And this was not a surprise to the disciples. This was not something that they were like, oh, this is something new. Because just a little bit earlier, Jesus had told his disciples, I want you to go to a specific place and meet with me. I'm going to tell you something when we meet there. And so we're just going to rewind the clock maybe a week or two when Jesus told his disciples, go to Galilee. And he meets with his disciples and he tells them this. Matthew 28 records this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Note that part, all the nations. Who was gathered on the day of Pentecost? All the known nations of the world at that time were gathered to hear the message of Jesus. So this is already being fulfilled. As Peter is there standing, speaking to the crowds, he would be realizing, wait a second, God is already doing through us what he promised he would do through us. And Jesus went on, he says, teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
This is a promise that even though this task is on us, the church, we are not alone. The world hasn't ended yet. Jesus hasn't returned back yet because God is giving us more time to complete this mission. And every, t- every time that whenever God chooses to return, every time he pushes that day back, or maybe it's set who knows when, if it's Im- imminent and right away or if it's far away, God is giving us more time to do what he has called us to do. Because the church has the most important mission in the entire world. Our mission of revealing God, of helping people to see how God loves everyone deeply, how God desires for the world to be transformed, this is the most important and vital mission in the entire world. Because think of it this way. If people actually understood how deeply God loves them. And sometimes I even wonder if I understand how deeply God loves me, and I probably don't. I probably can't comprehend it. But if we understood how deeply God loves us, how that would change the way we live our lives. Think about how our world could be different. Think about things like, well, like poverty and homelessness being able to be eradicated because broken families are being made whole and people aren't being kicked out. Or let's go on a bigger scale. Things like genocide being done for and not having to worry about that ever again. Civil wars being ended, persecution being ended, famine, deepest depths of poverty could be ended if our greed didn't require us on the western half of the world to consume so much of the world's resources. Think about how our world could be different if people actually understood the depth of how God loves us and we chose to change the way we lived our lives accordingly. This is why the church's mission to reveal Jesus is the most important mission in the entire world. And it began just under 2,000 years ago. There was 12 disciples, 120 people remained. Peter gets up to preach, and the church grows to 3,000. And that is the start. And the church today exists because of them, because they were willing to recognize how deeply the mission that God has for the church is and why it matters. And so we have to ask this question because the church's mission is to reveal Jesus and transform the whole world. So how are we doing at that? Because if we value something, and this applies to across your whole life, not just when we're talking about church, but if there's something that we value, something that we say is important, we have to evaluate it. We have to actually take a moment to stop and assess how are we doing at this. If we value something, we have to evaluate it. So how are we doing? And the stats uh, aren't always the most encouraging, but we're going to take a moment and look at two statistics. The first one is this. In North America right now, only 6% of churches are growing faster than their surrounding uh, community. So if we flip that the other way, 94% of churches in North America are losing ground compared to the community they serve. That means that the cities, the towns, the communities they're in, their population is growing and outpacing the church. And what that means is that the church's influence in the world is actually shrinking and is actually getting smaller. Now, that's a North American statistic. That's Canada and the U.S. So let's look at one that's just for Canada, that's just for our country. In Canada, the total number of people who self-report as Christian has decreased by 1.7% since 91, so 28 years. You might be thinking, decrease of 1.7, that's pretty small. 1.7%, that's a small number, isn't it? But 1.7% is 400,000 people. That means we have 400,000 fewer people who claim to follow Jesus now than we did 28 years ago. And over that 28 years, do you know what's happened in Canada? 
Canada's population has grown by 38%. That's 10,370,402 more people are in our country, and the church has been flat. So what that means is the church has not been keeping up with our mission. So you might ask this question of saying, should we care about numbers? Why do statistics matter? Why do numbers matter when we talk with the church? Well, the truth is the number itself doesn't matter. But what the number represents matters everything to God because the number that re- the, the, what the number represents is people who should have the opportunity to know Jesus, people who could step into knowing God's love for them. And so when we look at statistics and numbers, we need to remember that every single person in that number is a person who God deeply loves, a person who God cares for, a person who God made, and a person who God has equipped, but they haven't unlocked or activated or began to use the spiritual gifts that God has waiting for them. See, this is why we ask this question. We say, if the church's mission is to reveal Jesus and transform the whole world, how are we doing you know, we could be doing a lot better. And this is, we're talking the church as a whole. We're not, I'm not just talking just Grand Valley right now. I'm talking this is the Church of Canada. This is across denominations. These stats don't differ uh, from denomination to denomination. They are even. So when we look at these numbers, when we look at what does it mean to say that churches are not keeping up with the growth of the communities they're in, sometimes we get overwhelmed. And sometimes we think 10 million people, how could we ever reach 10 million people? We don't even have 10 million people here in, in, in Manitoba. No, Manitoba's way under 10 million. Uh, we're one million. Okay, so we're one-tenth of that. <laughs> but here's the thing. When we look at those numbers, we can break it down a little smaller. See, the size of the mission may be overwhelming, but God has not given us an impossible mission. So what are we going to do about it? Because that's the question of saying, if we see the mission that God's laid for us, the question is, what do we do? It's not just, are we going to accept it or are we not? Because if we don't accept the mission, well, then we're actually not a church anymore. So we have to ask this question, what are we going to do? And the way we phrase it here is something that you have heard spoken every single Sunday. Because we're intentional of saying this phrase every single Sunday because we want to keep it at the core and at the center of who we are. And that's this, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is how we take this big mission that God has given the whole church and we summarize it into a phrase for us so that we keep this at the center. We want to lead people. That means we want to invite people. We want people to come into encountering Jesus for the first time in their life. But it's not just enough to encounter Jesus and stop there because we want to help people grow deep. We want people to be transformed. We want people's lives to be changed. Jen told the story of Caitlin, whose life is being transformed. Police officers, people who would have been arresting her before, are saying, you're a different person. That's transformation. That's what God does. God's whole business is transforming lives, transforming the world, transforming earth into representing his kingdom. So our mission, what we hold at the core, is that we're here to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do as a community of faith, as Grand Valley. And even that, we can look at it and say, okay, there's still a question, how? How do we do that? And so we have this second phrase, and this is one that we've talked about, and we did a series on this uh, a little while ago, and so this will be familiar to us. 
of saying our vision is to be a community that is connecting unchurched people to Jesus. Because that's what's at the core. If we want to see people's lives being changed, the first thing we have to do is connect, them to un- connect people to Jesus. To be able to invite them in to say, this is who Jesus is. And this is unashamedly what our church is about. This is what we care about. This is what our heart beats for. Of saying, we want people to know Jesus. We want people to come to faith in Jesus. Because our lives have been transformed by Jesus. We want other people to have the same. And see, if we rewind the clock, we go back to that early church. They didn't have the things we have now. You know, they were not resourced the way the church is now. You know, the the church uh, of the first century couldn't own land, couldn't own property, couldn't gather under any sort of, you know, organized sense because they were actually outlawed by the Roman Empire. For the first, uh, up till 313 AD, so like 270-ish years, the church was completely underground, completely banned from existing. Because the problem was, is when we say Jesus is our Lord, Rome would say, no, no, you can't say that because Caesar is Lord. And so the very act of giving your, putting your faith and your trust in Jesus was viewed as an act of treason against the Roman Empire. But here's what happened. The early church was so passionate about revealing Jesus to the whole world that by 313 AD, one-third of the Roman Empire had given their lives to Jesus. Think about that for a second. This is the largest empire uh, that had ever existed in the world up to that point. One-third gave their lives to Jesus before, you know, Caesar was kind of like, well, I guess I better too. Because <laughs> now they're a third. Soon enough, they're going to take over. But that's exactly what God was trying to do. God was trying to transform the world. Think of it. Three years of Jesus' ministry, there was 120 people left. 270 years, we got a third of the whole Roman Empire. That is lives being transformed. And that's when the church is underground. The church has to be hidden. The church couldn't exist publicly. You know, even, you know, we're one of four countries in the world where when we donate, we get tax credits from our government for that. The whole rest of the world, all but four countries, don't get that. But the church still endures, the church still stands, the church still moves forward, the church still is in the business of transforming lives. Why? Because too many people live and die without experiencing the transforming love of Jesus Christ. Too many people live their lives and never understand God's love for them. They never have the chance to be in the fulfillment of a relationship with him. And so this is why we're talking about this today as the wrap-up of this Invisible God series, because the church's role is to reveal God to the world. And specifically, the church's role is to reveal God to people who don't know him yet. Because again, scripture is amazing. Scripture is God's living, breathing word that is meant for us to help us know God and go deeper. But People don't tend to just decide one day, I'm going to open the Bible and read it. Sometimes that might happen. And I've heard of stories and cases where people have come to faith in Jesus because someone gave them a Bible and they actually read through it. But the front door, the way that people encounter Jesus first, is almost always through the church. So we have to ask this. If the church's mission is to reveal Jesus and transform the whole world, If that's the church's mission, if that's what Jesus commanded and gave to us and called us to be, are we passionate enough to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus? 
Are we passionate enough to say this is the mission that we want to center our lives around, that this is going to be part of the core of how we live in our families, how we live in our communities, how you know the, the attitude and the perspective we want to have as we go about our jobs? And do we want to see, are we passionate enough to see that everywhere we go, God wants to be there with you? God doesn't want just one hour a week. God doesn't want just little pieces. We actually have to ask this question of ourselves. Are we passionate enough to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus? Because that was the passion that burned at the hearts of the early church. That was the way we began. And you know what? The truth is that there isn't enough time right now for the statistics to start showing But when I get to meet with other pastors and when I get to talk about what God is doing, there is pockets and pieces where the church is growing and exploding and and just going crazy because God is showing up and people are choosing to be passionate about what God is doing. And it's inspiring. And at the same time, sometimes I'm in these conversations with people and they're like, you know what? We're just, we're just trying to hold on to the building until everyone who's here, you know, we'll just have all their funerals, we'll outlast the last member, and then we'll close the doors. And that doesn't inspire me at all. In fact, I want to grab them and shake them and be like, what are you doing? Because that is not the mission. The mission is not keeping buildings open. The mission is not just keeping us together until we can have a nice funeral for everyone who's left. The mission is to transform the world. So how are we going to choose to do that? Are we passionate enough for this? Now, I'm going to give you some homework to do. And it's not a lot of homework. It's just a little bit of homework. But we don't have the time right now to dig into this for each one of us. What does this mean for me? Because that's the question each one of us has to ask. What does this mean for me? So I want to ask you to do something this week. Is head to our website. Go to mygrandvalley.ca slash loop. And there is a discussion questions link. And there's some questions to read, some passages of scripture to read. And I want to challenge you to actually take some time this week and dig into these questions. If you're in a life group, this is going to be your life group this week, is working through these together. How are we going to live out our passion for seeing people come to a relationship with Jesus? How are we going to see our world being transformed? How are we going to do this? Because the truth is, and don't miss this part, God has already given us everything we need. God has already equipped us with everything we need. He has put us in a position of favor. He has put us in places where we have influence. And God is waiting for us to make the choice to say, I'm going to use my influence. I'm going to use my resource. I'm going to use my gifts to see God's kingdom grow larger, to see people's lives be changed. Think about this for a second. How many of us have family, friends, co-workers that we care about, that we love. And we don't know if they know God. We don't know if they know Jesus. How many of us could instantly write a list a mile long of the people who we would love to see experience the joy that Jesus could bring to their life? How many of us have siblings or parents or children that we would desperately want to see them experience God's love? Are we passionate enough to make that happen? So next Sunday, we're coming back to our spiritual gift series because this is all connected. This is all part of this. Uh, a little while ago, we, d- we gave a primer and we talked about the start of spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts are one of the primary ways that God equips us to do this mission. And then we took a break for this for a reason at Easter to refocus ourselves on why Jesus rose from the grave. 
why God saw fit to make a new path open that blew open all the laws and barriers of the old way and made a simple way that we can just come to Jesus. And that's why we're talking about how do we see God more through Scripture and today how do we, the church, reveal God. And the next week we're digging back into spiritual gifts because this is, again, one of the biggest ways that God equips us to do exactly what he's called us to do. So let me take a moment. Let's pray for us before we wrap up. God, thank you for all the ways you have equipped us. And I say that phrase often because I am overwhelmed and thankful and grateful for the ways that you equip our church and provide for us to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we just pray that you would grow a passion in our hearts, that you would grow a deeper desire for us to know you more and for that that knowledge of you to overflow into revealing who you are to people around us. Lord, would you raise our passion for the mission you've granted us. In your name we pray. Amen. Folks, I hope you have a great week. I hope you wrestle with these discussion questions. And next Sunday, we're going to dig into this supernatural gift. How is God equipping us to do what he's called us to do? So folks, have a great week. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.